Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Well, we've been uh, chatting for a few weeks uh, as a church about who we feel God is calling us to be. And it's, uh, this process for us has been a little bit unconventional. And uh, we've, it's kind of, um, we've done things backwards, I guess, from the way that you're supposed to do it. But it's sort of the only way that I know how to do it. So we've spent the last... Uh, year and a half in this season of transition, just asking God, what is your heart for us? As a church, as a community, as a, a, a body of believers, what is, the, what is the fingerprint, the DNA of what you're doing in us? And so often we've wanted to just sort of whiteboard some cool and creative ideas, but I just have felt like God saying, you need to seek me on this. You need to wrestle for this. You need to actually work for it and fight for it. And so what we believe God is leading us into has been growing slowly and piece by piece. And every week it's like there's a new sort of facet that he's showing us about who we are. And the beauty of what we're talking about today and the beauty of where we're going as a church is that we didn't start with a, a, a whiteboard and a six-point strategy. We're starting out of who God has wired us to be and created us to be. We're actually just leading out of what he's already done in us, not something that we're trying to, to put on. And, and you remember in the Old Testament when, when David was... Um, when he was volunteering to combat Goliath, the, the great warrior Philistine, he approached the king and he said to King Saul, he said, I want to fight Goliath. And, and Saul looked at him and said, you're not a warrior. You're too small. You're insignificant. You're just a shepherd boy. And David insisted. And then Saul said, well, if you're going to fight him, then wear my armor, because at least that might give you a bit of a leg up from what you would normally have. And David put this armor on and he realized after a few minutes that he couldn't move in it. It was uncomfortable and it wasn't designed for him. It wasn't manufactured for him. It wasn't fit for him. It wasn't fit to his shape and his size. It wasn't fit to the way that God had implanted in him to do warfare. And so David takes this armor off and he says, I can't wear that. And in the same sense, we, we felt like as a church that God isn't calling us to wear the armor of another church. He's not calling us to replicate a movement somewhere in the world. He's not calling us to be like anyone else. He's calling us to discover, to ask him to, to seek his presence, to understand, God, how have you wired me? How have you wired us? What is your heartbeat for us? And we've been talking over the last few weeks about God's presence and that our number one, it's not even close, number one value is to relentlessly pursue the presence of Jesus. We've been sort of stuck and I've been stuck again. I don't know why, I keep trying to get out of it 
but I'm back into the first half of the book of Acts again, and I'm just stuck there. I'm stuck because of what I read. I'm stuck because of the stories that I hear. And then I'm stuck because I'm not seeing it in our Canadian churches. I'm stuck because sometimes my life doesn't reflect it. And I'm stuck when I hear stories of these apostles and these Christians radically changing the world, these uneducated, uneducated, unprepared men changing the face of the earth for history. And I've been stuck on Acts 4, 13, where after Peter and John had healed a man who had been lame from birth, they get pulled into the religious court with the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are commenting to themselves, saying, how is it that these guys, who are farmers and fishermen, who shouldn't know anything about the religious system or anything about spiritual matters. How is it that these guys are so bold and effective and powerful? And they come to this conclusion in Acts 4.13 that it's because they've been with Jesus. And as a church, the number one value we have is positioning ourselves positioning ourselves as close as we can to the presence of Jesus. It's living in the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in us anyway. It's activating his activity in our life. It's activating obedience to his voice and his calling. I am selling the farm on this idea that what God is inviting us to in this next season, what God is looking for in Canada and North America and around the world, what he's inviting us to and what he's looking for are people that aren't satisfied with the status quo, but are willing to be marked by his presence and used in power and effectiveness for his kingdom. I believe that actually what he's inviting us to as a church is to so deeply and radically pursue his presence that it can't help but change us and mark us and renew us and restore us and bring life and hope and freedom to our families. We're never going to see the kingdom of God come in the way that we, we want to see it if it doesn't start with us. If it doesn't start like it did with the apostles and the disciples who weren't interested in religious and intellectual assent. It's good to use the full faculty of our mind. But our knowledge way outpaces our obedience. Our knowledge of the Bible and of God, of what he says, way outpaces our obedience to actually just follow through with what we believe he's asking us to do. So God isn't looking, I believe, for a church or a community of people who are putting all their eggs in an intellectual basket. Although we want to grow in that area, he's looking for a group of people who are so hungry to live in a close proximity to him that it starts wrecking things in their life. So we've been talking about our value as a church to pursue the presence of Jesus. 
and I don't know about you, but the more I hop on social media or turn on the news, the older I get, the realize, the more I realize how little control I have over my own life or my family or everything that's going on around me. And the only direction that we can turn that will give us the greatest return on our investment is into the presence of Jesus. And so as a church, we're going all in. We're selling the farm. We're, we're betting it all on black 13 kind of thing. That's a 13 is not a great lucky number. I don't know why that just came out of my mouth. It shows you how much I gamble, I guess. I don't know what the, whatever the right number for roulette is. We're betting it all on that one, on the presence of Jesus. We're betting it all that the presence of Jesus in your life and in my life is the most attractional force on the face of the earth for people who don't know him. We're betting everything on the presence of Jesus being the thing that brings healing and transformation and life. We're betting everything on the presence of Jesus is the thing that gives us influence and favor when we don't deserve it in a city and in a region that is actively pushing against God. Today, we're gonna take it one step further and we're going to talk a little bit about what, what I believe God is calling us to as a church and as a people. So we're going to pursue his presence. But as we pursue his presence, I believe that there's some things that he's calling us to do along the way. If you have your Bible, you can pull it out. I know our lights aren't awesome, so you may not be able to read it. But um, just for nostalgia's sake, oh, wow, Brenda's not here. I Okay, next week I'll do. I have a little special practical joke for her that we'll play next week. Um, <laughs> totally forgot about it. Um, you can get your Bible out. If not, it'll be on the screen. But open it up to the book of Acts. That's the fourth book in the New Testament of the Bible. And we're going to open to Acts chapter 12. And I've just been sort of sitting in this chapter for the last couple weeks. As we do that, um, I'm just gonna invite you to stand as we read God's word. Just feel like we should honor his word today in our lives. Plus, we'll just get the blood flowing a little bit. Acts 12, verse one. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's 16 soldiers. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I'm going to stop there. Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to us clearly today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to illuminate the word of God in our lives. Pray that uh, everything that comes out of my mouth would be seasoned by you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I... 
I got stuck on the first two words of this, about that time. Have you ever had this experience in your life where in your head, you've been uh, walking through stuff in your life and in your head, you're, you're kind of going, meanwhile, uh, sort of like in brackets, while all this other stuff is going in my life, in brackets, this thing is going on. In brackets in my life, I'm experiencing this or I'm experiencing that. Meanwhile, while this stuff is going on over here, all this other part of my life is falling apart. Meanwhile, while I feel like my job is going well, my family's falling apart. And meanwhile in my life, when, when everything seems to be coming together spiritually, Spiritually, my relationships are falling apart. And meanwhile, in my life, when, when, when I feel like I'm just hitting, you know, my stride and I, I'm being effective, meanwhile, everything else is falling apart around me. And, and, and Luke brings us to this chapter, and this is a meanwhile chapter. I've called this message, In the Meantime, because Luke is bringing us to one of those In the Meantime. And so often in our life, with, with everything going on in, our, in the different spheres of life and influence we have, so often we have those in the meantime moments. Like in the meantime, like really God, this is going to happen? In the meantime, I thought that things were going this way. I thought they were going up and to the right. In the meantime, everything starts falling apart. And Luke is bringing us to one of those in the meantime moments. In the meantime, what's, what Luke is bracketing here is what's going on globally in the church. You see, Jesus has resurrected. He's empowered his disciples. And Jerusalem is buzzing. Jerusalem is buzzing with the activity of God all over the place. Jerusalem's buzzing so much that the religious leaders are getting kind of annoyed that, that their system of faith and religion is, is getting outpaced by these people who are encountering Jesus in radical ways. Their, their rules and doctrine and systems of structure are, are being relegated useless by the healings that God is doing all around them. They're, they're finding themselves in this antiquated spot where they're no longer relevant. And out of that position of irrelevancy, we have this in the meantime moment. And they begin to heavily persecute the church. They begin to push back on what God is doing. And Peter has this, this amazing encounter with God during this time. And you see, historically speaking, the whole Bible, everything had been leading up to Jesus as not only the Savior of Israel, as not only the Savior of the Jewish people, but God's plan in his heart was that Jesus would actually be the Savior of the world. But up until this point, the Jewish people believed that they were the chosen people that would receive God's grace and favor and that everybody else was on the outside looking in. Until one day, God gives Peter this radical vision and sends him to the house of this Gentile named Cornelius. For Peter, this was an unthinkable thing that he would go into the house of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, eat with them, connect with them, and then pray for them to receive 
Jesus, their Jewish Messiah, their Jewish Savior. When Peter prays with them, the Holy Spirit comes on them and fills them and he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How is it that God is doing the same thing in them that he's doing in us? We thought that this Jesus was the Messiah just for the Jewish nation. And so we see this concentric circle of spiritual influence and authority blow by and break through the nation of Israel to the rest of the world. Peter comes back from this meeting and the Jewish Christians are furious with him. They're furious that he would break the law, that he would violate the commandments of God. They're furious with him that he would stoop so low as to pray for these non-Jewish people for salvation. Peter manages to convince them that it's actually God's plan in his heart. And so in one sense, this in the meantime for Peter is, man, I just dodged a bullet there. I had all of these people in my life furious with me. I had all of this stuff looked like it was going really far sideways. But, but God, I just dodged a bullet there. I've, I've, I've made and satisfied the religious requirements in my life. I've, I've actually fulfilled what I should be fulfilling. And, and so, phew, God, I've just dodged a bullet in that area. So often in our life, when we just get to that moment where we think that breakthrough is coming, where we see breakthrough on the horizon in one area, God brings challenge and struggle in another area. And so Peter is in this moment where he's feeling like, man, I, I just dodged that bullet. Thank the Lord. We're all good. Things are looking up and to the left. And then in comes Luke with, in the meantime, about that time, about that time when Peter thought everything was going the right direction about that time when he started giving his tithe and, and his finances were looking good, about that time when, when his family was feeling solid, when, when he was feeling solid in his work, when he was feeling solid in his calling, about that time when he was experiencing a sense of hope and security in his life, about that time, things started to unravel from the other side. And we see in this whole chapter, chapter 12, this confrontation, this in the meantime confrontation between what God is doing on the earth and this political system that's pushing back on it. So Peter is seized, he's put in jail. And it says that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I want to submit to you that I believe God is calling us to be and equip others to be a house of prayer. But not a house of prayer like the kind we learned in Sunday school 
Not a house of prayer like let's just pray at our meal and ask God to bless us. Not a house of prayer like, God, when things are good, I'm going to glorify you. When things aren't, I've got my list out. Not a house of prayer that, that says that we approach God with, with all of our struggles and complaints before we approach him with honor and praise and glory. Not a house of prayer that, that, that is shifted by the movement around us in culture and in society, but I believe God is calling us to equip ourselves and to equip others to be the kind of house of prayer that shakes the foundations of political systems, that shakes the foundations of the enemy's assignment against this world. He's calling us to be that kind of house of prayer. The word that Luke used for earnest there is the same word that was used to describe Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was in the final uh, hours before going to the cross, before experiencing immense torture and suffering. The Bible says that Jesus was earnestly praying that he was literally extending himself beyond his own capacity to connect with God. That word has actually got a medical connotation to it. It's actually literally to, to take a uh, a muscle and stretch it beyond its capacity. It's to, to take that muscle and stretch it just to the point of tearing. And the Bible says that, that the church, that the people who surrounded Peter when he was thrown in jail took up this call and this challenge to earnestly pray on his behalf. To pray with fervency and power. That word for the church, ecclesia, we, we kind of have a distorted perspective of that. It doesn't just mean a church like we would experience it today. That word actually carried with it a governmental connotation that, that when, when the Bible says that the church prayed for him. When Jesus said, your name is Peter and on this rock I will build the church, what Jesus was saying and what these people were doing was not just gathering together to hear themselves pray. That word has the connotation of um, authority from a judicial standpoint. God says that, that us, the body of Christ, the church, he's called us to pray in a way to pray in a way that we're pushing the bounds of our authority spiritually, to pray in a way that we break through these barriers spiritually. When, when Jesus thought of the church, when, when Luke thought of the church when he was writing this, it wasn't just a happy, clappy Sunday morning kind of group of people. It was people who understood that in the spiritual realm, they'd been given authority and permission by God through what Jesus had done to actually change the spiritual structure of their communities and their city and their region. So when the church prayed together, it wasn't, oh Lord, just help Peter, just help him to be okay, he's in jail and you know, he's not comfortable and there's no toilets in there and you know, like, uh, you know, like those kinds of prayers that we have. It wasn't that. It was God 
We're appealing to you because you've given us the right and the authority and whatever is going on in the supernatural realm around me, whatever is taking place, we're asking by your authority and your power that you would break through, that you would change the course of events that actually would happen spiritually, that it would manifest itself in the decision making of the rulers and leaders around us. That's the kind of prayer that they were praying and that's the kind of prayer that I believe God is calling this church to. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back. But I wanna point out a couple things as they do. One, the spiritual world and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil operate on a very strict basis of hierarchy and authority. And what God is inviting us to as a church and as a community and as a people is to begin to step into that place of living and praying and acting in authority in our own life. You see, there was a progression in Peter's life as he walked with Jesus, experienced many things. During the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter denies him. After that, Jesus is raised from the dead and he comes back and he reinstates Peter's authority spiritually. Peter's authority, the authority of this church that was praying for him and with him, started with their own walk with God. We're never going to affect change in our families. We're never going to affect change in our communities. We're never going to affect change in our nation or in our world until we begin to take that mantle of earnest prayer and begin to walk in the authority that God has called us to and led us to. It starts with you and I when nobody's watching, pursuing and seeking the presence of Jesus. It starts with you and I, when nobody's watching, investing in prayer for our family, for our children, for our brothers, our sisters, our friends. It starts with you and I pressing into that place of authority in our own life to say, I'm done with sin. I'm done with this stuff that is continually pulling me off track and away from what God wants from me. It starts with us standing up in the authority that God has given us for our own lives to walk in victory and in strength. And as we begin to walk in authority in our own life, God will begin to open up doors for us to step into authority in our schools and in our workplaces. He'll begin to open up doors for us to step in authority in our community and in our city. But what he's calling us to is to start with every one of us to start to walk in the kingdom authority that he's called you to, that he's provided for you and I. So as a church, we're going to invest big time in walking with you and teaching you to walk in authority in your own life. I know what it's like. I know what it's like from personal experience to walk in brokenness and in defeat 
and cyclical struggles with sin and temptation and all of that. I know what it's like, and I know what it's like to walk in victory and authority, and there's nothing like it. When you walk in authority in your personal life, God says, all right, I can trust you with that. Let me add the next ring around you, and I'm going to give you a mantle to pray in authority over your family and your friends. And then when we're faithful with that, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a mantle and a right to pray over your workplace in this Niagara region. And then when we're faithful with that, he's going to say, okay, I'm giving you a mantle to pray over your nation. But it doesn't start out there. It starts in here. And this church prayed. They got on their knees. This chapter is about the collision of intercession and prayer and pressing into God's heart. The collision of that with everything that the kingdom of darkness and the world could throw at those disciples. I want to stop on one obscure verse that I, I've just been thinking about. It says, now when Herod was about to bring him out on the, that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He'd, God had supernaturally broke him out of jail already twice, so um, Herod kind of upped the ante and um, made it physically impossible for him to escape. He was bound with two chains, and in this Roman time, they would normally just put one chain around the fighting arm of the prisoner, around usually the right wrist of the prisoner, and that chain was to actually rob them of their ability to fight back, and it was tied and chained to the left hand of the soldier guarding them. And just for good measure, for safety, for precaution, to be prudent, Maybe Herod was an accountant or something like that. He just thought he wanted to have extra good measure here. He added a second one on Peter's wrist, indicating that there was no human way he could fight his way out of it. There was nothing Peter could do with his own strength. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. So an angel burst through heaven and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him and saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hand. That word fell off in the original Greek literally means that they just automatically came off. No one had to touch them. Nobody had to do anything. God just broke them through his own strength and power. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. I wanna leave you with this thought. Sandals, in this time, the time that Luke was writing this in this early Roman civilization, footwear was actually very significant. I don't know if you know this, but slaves who were very common in the Roman Empire weren't allowed to wear shoes. Slaves had to walk around barefoot but freed men, freed women could wear shoes. And it's almost like this angel was showing up there as Peter is bound in prison in chains, no hope for him, nothing he can do with his own strength. This angel shows up, breaks the chains and says, put on your shoes. Peter, you're not a slave anymore. 
You're not bound by what used to bind you. You're not under the curse of death. You're not under that stuff anymore. Put your shoes on, Peter, because you're walking out of here a free man. And in the same way, I feel like God is calling us and challenging us and saying, if I have set you free, if the sun sets you free, start walking in it. Start living in it. Put your shoes on and get out of the prison. Put your shoes on and follow me out, Jesus is saying. Put your shoes on. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul said, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm not a slave to that stuff anymore. It's been broken off me. So why do I walk around with bare feet like a prisoner and a slave? Put your shoes on. Put your shoes on in your life. Put your shoes on spiritually. In the meantime, when everything's going to hell in a handbasket in your life, put your shoes on. Because God has given you an authority and victory over that stuff. In the meantime in your life, when everything seems to be going the wrong way, put your shoes on spiritually. In the meantime, when you feel like you've done everything you can do, when you feel like you're at the end of what you can do, put your shoes on because you're not a slave anymore. God has bought your freedom with the blood of Jesus. There was another young man in the parable of the prodigal son, as Jesus told it. This young man, when he walked away from God, explored everything the world had to offer, found that there was no hope, found himself enslaved in a pig pen, eating the food of the pigs, came to his senses, ran, ran back to his father. His father, his father does what's unthinkable for a father to do. He actually humbles himself. He defies proper protocol and he runs out to his son. And what does he do? He gives him new clothes and the Bible says a new pair of shoes. And he says to his son, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live in bondage like that. You don't have to live in fear and anxiety anymore. You don't have to live struggling in these cycles of defeat. You don't have to. Put your shoes on, son. Put your shoes on, daughter. Because I'm going to walk you right out of this prison that you've been living in. Past every guard, past every gate. Peter and this angel make it to what the Bible says is the heavy iron gate. And God's not asking you to go to the gate and, and get there and begin to push with all of your might. The Bible says that that gate opened for them by the power of God. That that gate opened for them. Yes, Jesus said that we'll experience trouble and trial in this world, but he said, I've overcome it. I want to move the gate in your life. I've got a pair of shoes for you to put on. You're not a slave anymore. My love bought your freedom. My grace bought your freedom. I wonder how many of you today have been walking around without your shoes on. 
even though maybe you've been going to church for a long, long time, maybe longer than you can even remember. Maybe you've been sitting here week after week, but the moment you leave here, you actually take your shoes off and you walk back into bondage. You walk back into slavery to the stuff in your life that is just destroying you. I believe Jesus is inviting you today to put your shoes on. And he's challenging us as a, a community to step up in faith and authority. Maybe you're here today and you're not even sure what you believe. You're not sure if this God thing is for you. And you've been walking around without shoes. And you're not sure how to control what's going on in your life. You don't even know what to do anymore. And Jesus is saying, I've got a pair of shoes for you. You don't need to be a slave anymore. You can walk in freedom. And our heart as a church is not just to preach about this, but to actually live it and to teach you. That's why in a few weeks for our revival nights, we're holding a master class on spiritual authority on this Saturday morning. You can go onto our website and register for it, but we're taking the whole morning. My mentor, Randy Friesen, is coming, and he lives in this stuff all over the world. And we're going to teach you how to walk in spiritual authority, how to put your shoes on and walk in victory in your life. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.